right. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, please. We are making our way through Genesis on Sunday mornings. We considered where God is calling out to Abram to come out. Remember that God is the initiator. We are all born in sin. We have all chosen to sin. We have all gone astray. And we needed God to seek us out because there is none who will naturally seek after Him, the Bible says. And that's exactly what God has done. He came looking for us. He took the initiative. He sent His only begotten Son. God did everything necessary for us, and He seeks us out. And 1 John, it says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love Him, it goes on to say, because He first loved us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We couldn't save ourselves. Thank God He knew exactly what we needed. Well, God called to Abram, and we saw when He was called to leave His country, He was also called to leave His kindred, leave His father's house. But where was He to go? Well, the Lord said, unto a land that I will show thee. So, Abram, pack up your stuff, get moving. Where are we going, Lord? I'll show you. This move, this call, to answer this call, it's going to have to be by faith. God said, I'll show you. What, is, what does Hebrews eleven eight say? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. When we answer God's call, and this was the application last week, God will not leave us where He has found us. It doesn't mean that there's going to necessarily be a physical change of address. But God does not leave us where we're at. Things change in our life. Amen. It it, it may be our associations, it may be our language, it may be our actions, it could be any number of things. And God wants you to grow, He wants to bring you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And we have to trust His leading by faith. And when God calls us out, it's to bring us into something better. We just need to learn to say, wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so, wherever He leads. I'll go. Why? Because He's worthy. Let's begin today by reading verses 1 through 4 again this week of Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. Make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, And curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Well, let's pick up where we left off last week in verse 2. That's where we'll begin. The first statement here we read is how God will make Abram a great nation. Well, this is quite a statement, given the fact that he and his wife have no children, and that she's barren. 
Remember, we were told that in Genesis 11.30. She can't have any kids at this point, and time is ticking away. We don't know how old Abram was when he left Ur. We don't know how long he dwelled in Haran on his way to Canaan. But we do know from verse 4 that Abram was 75 when he departed Haran. And we'll learn later that Sarai was 10 years younger than Abram. So she would have already been 65 when God is giving this promise. Or a little bit younger when he gave the promise, but 65 when they leave Haran. Now, humanity was still living longer, so Abraham's going to live to be 175. It's hard to know the average age of when a woman would pass her childbearing years, but we do know sometime shortly after the Bible is going to tell us that Abram, Abraham by that point was 99 and Sarah was 89. And then at that point it says it ceased to be with her after the manner of women. So sometime between now and then, she's not going to be able to bear children. And, and I'm just highlighting how when God tells Abram this in, in verse 2, that he's going to make him a great nation it's already starting to look like it's an impossibility. There's still hope, I believe, at this point in their minds because they're not yet laughing at the idea like they will later. So I think at this point it was probably still physically possible, but time is, is getting away from them. But what seems impossible to man is easy with God. God said He, he will make Abram a great nation. And it means it's going to happen. There's no way around this. And it'll be in God's timing, though. And we need to learn to wait on God's timing. It's going to be in His timing when He can get all the glory. Genesis 18, 14, God says to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Well, next we see that God will bless Abram. And I believe this refers to the fruitfulness. I should say it not only refers to the fruitfulness of Sarah's womb, but it also is, I believe, speaking about the temporal blessings that we get in life, spiritual blessings that we receive, and also the eternal blessings that we have uh, being in Christ. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. What a thought. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So just stop for a second and think about all the blessings you enjoy from being in Christ. It would take more than a second. We would spend the rest of the day counting our blessings. I mean, just think in all the ways that we're blessed. Hey, here's one just to keep you happy forever, so be sure to tell your face this. Your sins have been forgiven. Amen. Whoop! Amen. <laughs> okay. We are blessed with Christ's righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed on us. We have been blessed with His peace. He said, peace not as the world giveth give I unto you. My peace I give unto you. We have been blessed with the, the Holy Ghost. We've been blessed with joy in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. Listen, we're a blessed people this morning. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
We are blessed because we have access to pray. No, no, no. We don't have to go through some saint, some angel, some mediatrix. We go to God. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to come to me. Whoop, hallelujah right there. I mean, I'm busy already. Y'all so wicked, I'd be really busy. No, we go straight to God. Now, I understand Jesus is our mediator, but Jesus is God. And we go straight to God in prayer. What a blessing. We are unworthy to be able to come to Him in prayer. And yet He made it possible. So we're blessed to be able to pray. Listen, we're, we're blessed that we have the Word of God. Hey, did you hear what I said? The Word of God. And yet we're just flipping about it, aren't we? It collects dust during the week. There's, there's countries, there's people that don't even have a Word of God. I mean, we are a blessed people. We are blessed to have a church to assemble with. We are blessed. Listen, we're blessed in so many ways that it would be impossible to go around the room today and get it all done. The blessings are innumerable. God goes on to say in verse 2 that He will make Abram's name great. Well, God's going to change His name to Abraham. It's going to be changed from being a high father, which is what Abram means, to being a multitude of nations, which is what Abraham means, which is also referring to the Gentiles being brought in. And several times in the Bible you'll read about Father Abraham. God's going to make his name great, he said. Remember at the Tower of Babel, they wanted to stay put and make a name for themselves. That was against what God had commanded. And then God says to Abraham now, who is willing to go, I will make your name great. It's quite a contrast here. And, and we know this has come to pass, both physically and spiritually. He's one of the greatest names in all of human history. And I think I mentioned this last week, out of the three major groups, and there's more, but three of the major groups in the world all have a stake in Abraham. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. They all go back to Abraham. And so, in their mind, they go back to Abraham. Now, in Islam, they, they change Isaac to Ishmael, but that's a whole other thing. Why is Abram's, Abraham's name so great? Abram was nothing when God called him. He was raised in an idolatrous home. He was raised in a, in a city of idolatry. He was unknown. When God called him, he, he was not great. His name wasn't great. God did not call Abram because he had a great name, but God would make him great. What, what, are you getting this? Yeah, I, and I'm telling you this because so many people are like, I don't have anything. To... Abram had nothing to offer. It wasn't that God looked down upon humanity and said, ah, there's the one. No, no, no. Listen, we all can be used by God. As long as you're willing, you can be used by God. And so Abram had nothing to offer. Abram wasn't great, but Abraham became great because he served a great God. And that's it. Anything great about us is from the Lord. Promotion, the Bible says, cometh from the Lord. You see, God gets to say who is great and who isn't. Man tries, but they all disappear over time. 
Hebrews 11.2, For by it, that is, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. So how did Abram become great? He's following the great God by faith, and he got a good report or a good name. His name becomes so great, you'll read this phrase 17 times in the Bible, the God of Abraham. Let that sink in. The God of Abraham. Is that how God would describe? I mean, would God connect us? I am the God of you insert your name. Not only that, he's mentioned directly 230 uh, times. Three times he is called the friend of God. Once he is called faithful Abraham. He had a great name because he was faithful to be the friend of a great God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we're not great in of ourselves. We're great because we've been brought into a great name. Because once we accept Christ as our Savior, He says, I will give you my name. I will write my name upon you. So we just need to humbly walk with our God by faith, and then we too can obtain a good report by faith. The last statement we read in verse 2 is God saying to Abram, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now this is an, entering, uh, an interesting shift that is taking place in this verse and really in, in these next two verses. On each side of this statement, God says, I will. But now God says, thou shalt, which is written in the imperative voice, Pastor DeGarmon. I know he cares about those things, amen. Sorry, inside joke. Now, what does this mean? Thou shalt be a blessing. This is written like a command. When you read the Ten Commandments given over in Exodus 20, what do they all begin with? Thou shalt. Thou shalt not is how they begin. And here it says, thou shalt be a blessing. So it's the same idea here. Uh, This will happen. This is God's plan. Listen, thou shalt be a blessing. It is written as a command. It is going to happen. It is imperative. This is going to come to pass. This is God's plan, and He's not changing His mind about this. And our gathering today is proof that this has come to pass. Thou shalt be a blessing. We're here today. So why are we here today? Because of Abraham. Because he's going to lead to Christ. Thou shalt be a blessing. One day there's going to be a gathering of the redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. What a thought. And so we can say that Abram is being blessed to be a blessing. Isn't that what it's kind of saying here? I will bless thee and thou shalt be a blessing. He's being blessed to be a blessing. How about you? Have you been blessed by God? Of course you have. Then be a blessing. Be a blessing. Don't be the one that people cringe. Don't act act so spiritual. You know there's people you don't like to see coming your way. (laughs) Boy, y'all are really holy today. Amen. Well, God's promise of blessing continues in verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And I believe this statement has been greatly misunderstood, grossly misapplied, and terribly abused. 
and I really wrestled on whether or not to get into this, should I address it or not, but I took it all out of my message. For one, it ends up being a sermon in of itself to explain, and two, it really broke the natural flow of the message. If you really want to hear it, let me know and I'll preach it next week. Otherwise, I may try to let it go. May try to let it go. Some of you know what I'm referring to. Now, instead of focusing on what I don't believe this is saying today, I'm going to focus on what I believe it is saying, which is far more valuable in my opinion. Now, we were just told at the end of verse 2 that Abram shout be a blessing. But to whom will Abram be a blessing? Well, this statement further tells us who. So God's blessing is going to flow through to Abram. From Abram, it'll flow out to those who bless him. Is everybody with me? This means Abram, and this is what you got to get, okay? This is what this is really saying. Abram and God are united. Remember, he's going to be called the God of Abraham. These two are united. They, God is, is making a connection here with Abram. Matthew Henry put it this way, this made it a kind of league, offensive and defensive, between God and Abram. In other words, those who are a blessing to Abram are in fact a blessing to God. And those who are cursing Abram are, in effect, cursing God. Those who show kindness to Abram are showing kindness to God. Those who are enemies to Abram are enemies to God. Let me put it this way. To bless Abram is to bless Abram's God. Is this simply... Blessing a man named Abram, or is this something greater? And and so, I believe, as I'll show a little bit later on in this message, this has to do with our blessing and cursing the message from God to Abram, which is justification by faith. God will bless those who embrace the message of faith in God that Abram will bring to them. But as we'll also see, God will curse those who reject Abram's message of faith in God. If I'm not communicating this effectively, I want you to listen to some New Testament verses that I think will help clear this up. Maybe connect the dots here. In Matthew 10, you don't have to turn to these if you don't want. In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending forth His twelve. And He said unto them, As ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he instructed them, when you come into a house, salute it, or be courteous, be polite. And and then he says this in Matthew 10, 13 and 14, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, here we go, whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Then, get this, Jesus said in verse 40, 
He that receiveth you receiveth me. And then he goes on to say, And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Are you getting this? I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but what is Jesus saying? Those who would embrace the disciples, those who were sent out to preach, those who would embrace the disciples and their message in reality are embracing the one who commissioned them to go and preach. Why? Because there's a unity between the two. God made a league, as Matthew Henry put it. We, we, we are together. We, we are working together. We are yoked up. To receive the messenger's message is to receive the author of the message. John 13, 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. But on the other hand, to reject the message is to reject the author of the message. Luke ten sixteen, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Now isn't it interesting, in Luke's account, he adds, He that heareth you, heareth me. The one who hears the message is in reality hearing from Christ. Let me just get up in your grill for a minute. If you are not, if you're checking out with what I'm saying, you are not hearing from Christ. You say, boy, that's bold. You know what the Bible says? We are up here in Christ's stead as ambassadors of Christ. The one who hears the message in reality is hearing from Christ. So as you receive the message, you are receiving Christ. When you despise the message of the messenger, you are despising Christ. And so I'll just say this while I'm here and take advantage of the situation. If you're getting mad at the preacher, if the preacher is clearly giving you book, chapter, verse, not opinion, but if he is giving you clear doctrine and you're getting mad at that, you're getting mad at Christ. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the author of the message. And so in Genesis 12, 3, it is really a form of what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. Those who receive Abram will be blessed because they are ultimately receiving God. Those who reject Abram will ultimately be cursed because they are rejecting God. How Abram, how Abram is treated is how God was being treated. You say, I don't like all this. Well, guess what? When Paul was on the road, Saul at the time was on the road to Damascus, what did Jesus say to him? Saul was out there persecuting the church, Christ's bride. And what did Jesus say to him? You're persecuting me. Unity. And here's another one to, to show you. Matthew 25, verses 40 and 41 and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto who? Unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
later on in verse 45 of Matthew 24, then shall he answer them, those on his left, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. So, I hope it has helped to clarify what this means when God says to Abram, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Because this has been blown way out of context doctrinally in many circles. And if you want to get controversial, I'll do it next week. But let's move on to the last statement. We read in verse 3, From God to Abram, And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God was going to make Abram a great nation, but now we see that the blessings would flow into all families. Or we might could say all nations, which includes Gentiles, of course. And this is where I want to address how the blessing and the cursing has to do with receiving the message from God that He gave to Abram, which is justification by faith, which is, by the way, the gospel. And this is what is contained in the statement, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Did you know this is a reference to the gospel? You say, where are you getting that from? Galatians 3 and verse 8. Listen to what it says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. How did he preach it? Saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. It's the gospel. God said, I will bless those who receive the gospel. And, And by the way, when the Bible says that the gospel was preached unto Abraham, how many gospels are there? There's one true gospel. The Bible is clear about that. Abraham had the same gospel preached unto him that we have preached unto us, and that is justification by faith in Christ alone. So how is it that all the families of the earth can be blessed through Abram? Well, I've already answered the question, but remember who we are building up to in the Bible. Remember that as we went through the lineages. Who are we looking for? We are getting the count here, the account here of the line through which the promised seed of God back in Genesis 3:15 is going to arrive. We are building up to Christ in the Bible, his arrival. And by the way, when this says all families of the earth shall be blessed, it doesn't mean all are going to partake of those blessings. But it means all will have the ability to be partakers of the blessings of Christ which means we have to make a choice to either receive Christ or else how could we have the ability to be blessed if we don't have the ability to make the choice? And God's desire, hey, it's for everybody to be saved. That's His desire. 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth, but not all are going to receive salvation. You see, Christ, get this, He's already paid for the sins of the world. They were paid for on the cross. But in order to become a partaker of that, you have to accept His payment. What are we being told in Genesis 12, 2 and 3 
is that the promised seed of God is going to arrive through the line of Abraham. This is how Abram shall be a blessing. This is how all the families of the earth can be blessed. It's not so much Abraham. It It is the one who is to come. It is through Christ. God will later say to Abraham in Genesis 22, 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And why is that significant? Because Paul will use that in Galatians 3.16 when he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, seeds plural, but as of one, and listen to this, and to thy seed, Abraham, which is Christ. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's all about Christ. To make, this, to make this passage in Genesis 2 and 3 of chapter 12, to make it more about the nation of Israel than to make it about Christ is to do a great injustice to the Word of God. There's only one way to receive the blessings of God. That is through the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ who would come through Abraham. And if you believe in Christ, you will be blessed. Galatians 3.9, it says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Galatians 3.29, And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, these are wonderful promises by God. Amen. We see three times in verses 2 and 3, God saying, I will. God is going to do this. Abram will simply become a partaker of the promises of God by faith. God is going to do this. Kind of sounds like salvation, doesn't it? God's done it all. You can become a partaker by faith. 2 Peter 1.4 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. God called out to a man who was raised in a pagan land in a city filled with idolatry to a family who was living in idolatry. And God says, I will make of thee a great nation. God called out to a man whose wife was barren. And she was getting up there in years. But God said, I will bless thee. God says, I will, I will. I will. And if you will believe that, then watch what I can do through you, Abram. And here's a thought for our consideration. Until we realize what God can do, we won't do anything for God. And what did Abram have to do for these promises to come to pass? Nothing. Except have faith that God was faithful to perform what He had promised. Remember what Jesus said? He said, have faith in God. Do you want to see God work in your life? you got to have faith. No, no, no. you got to have an active faith. Not what so many start to believe of faith. No, what did James say? You need to be active in your faith. you got to have faith. 
But you, you know what's interesting here? Abram never saw these promise, all of these promises come to pass. I mean, think about it. He, he never saw himself become a great nation. Not in his lifetime. He never saw his name become great in the earth. He never saw all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, he saw some of these things, but he didn't see those things. Listen to Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Which begs the question, why are you following God? Is it for the blessings? In a sense, that's true initially because of the blessing of salvation, what God has done for us. But what about through the rest of your life? Are you following in hopes of seeing something great come to pass? What if you don't see it? Like Abraham. Are you content to just die in faith? Like Abraham? The basis of our following God has to go deeper than what we hope to see from God. We should follow God Because of who He is. You see, it's not about what we hope to see, but it is what we see in Him. We're told in Acts 7-2, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And if we don't get a glimpse of the glory of God, then I believe we're going to have issues. Because life isn't going to pan out the way you want it to. I know that to be true. I'm a blessed man. I'm not saying any of that, but it's not how I intended things to go, to have a blood clot like this. (laughs) This was not on my to-do list when I was 20. Amen? It's got to be more. You've got to see God for who He is. You've got to be with Him not because of of the promises, And they are many in this temporal life. Amen. But it's because of what we know about God. Moses said to God in Exodus 33, 15, Moses is telling God, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses did not want to go further without having God's presence. And in Exodus 33, 18, Moses said to God, I beseech thee, or I beg you, Show me thy glory. Wait a minute. This is the man who was on top of the mountain. Receiving the law from God. He says, it's not enough. I need to see your presence. I need to have your presence. I need to see your glory. If not, don't don't, don't even carry us up any further. And I'm just saying, listen to me, please. we got to see God for who He is. We can only do that through the eyes of faith. Through the pages of God's Word. But we must see Him. We must see Him. Why? Because when we see Him, we we endure. We continue when the promises that we were told are not in our lifetime. Hebrews 11.27, by faith, speaking of Moses, 
he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. How? As seeing him who is invisible. What did he do? He saw God. That's how he endured. No, no, no. It's not about the bennies. And those are great. Amen. But no, it's about him being worthy. What are you going to do when, when life takes a turn on you? It doesn't go just the way you'd hoped. I can tell you what a great number have done coming, even coming through this church. They're gone. They're gone. They did not stay by the stuff. Why? Because God didn't turn out who they wanted Him to be. But, but wait a minute. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? For, for what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? No, he said there's a greater prophet that's come, John the Baptist. But what did you go out to see? What did you expect? Did you not read your Bible? Did you not realize life is going to be tough at times? Now, I'll be the first to say, mine's been way better and it's been bad. What did you expect? God, you said I was going to be a great nation. You said you were going to make my name great. Now I'm dead at 175 and I saw none of those things. It may not be in your lifetime. And we just got to come to terms with that. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? It goes on to say, for He is faithful that promised. We need to recognize the end result of how God is going to use our life may not be revealed fully in our lifetime. I believe God's got something great for our church that the first generation may never get to see. You see what I'm saying? So what does God require from us? Just be faithful. Just be found faithful. Revelation 2.10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. May we be found faithful. Trust the I wills of God. That it will come to pass in His timing because He is faithful. So my encouragement to you is stay faithful, my friends. Let's pray and we'll have an invitation and a couple of baptisms.